right, let's do this. The Andrew Curtis Show, round... What are we, round four, I guess? Um, I have had a lot of fun with every one of these conversations, uh, but something about this... Uh, interview you're about to listen to man i just got such a kick out of um so i decided to catch up with a friend of mine nick nick heinson um known him for a few years and particularly because of um a board game an educational product that he created to teach uh financial lit financial literacy try saying that with a mouthful of wheat picks financial literacy to uh, to school children that's how it started, but it's evolved to become much more than that. So that's where I wanted to start this conversation with him. Uh, but as I'm very pleased to report, uh, we ended up covering a lot more than that. Um, just things about the nature of creativity and what to do when you're a creative and finding your path, uh, dealing with the disappointments that come along and resilience and all that kind of good stuff. Oh, so much fun. Can't wait to hear what you thought about it. So uh, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Nick Heinsohn. There's a lot of things we could kind of talk about today because um, both being people, I guess, who are led by curiosity and seeing where things can take us, yeah. um, had fairly kind of diverse experiences of things. The number one thing I guess I wanted to talk to was particularly around um, the financial education side of things that you're involved cool. in. Yeah. Um, but before we do that, it would be cool to hear a little bit of your story up until this point because right. it's been quite a journey, right? Yeah, it has. Yeah. Um, if I, I could start... I left school and was interested in, in design, uh, architecture and cabinet making and the the three of them, I, I was really struggling to work out how I was going to get into either either three of those or any three of those industries and uh, ended up hearing from a friend that um, computer, um, being a computer technician was actually quite a lucrative opportunity so I decided to go and study electronics at, at AUT. Okay. And uh, that led into a job with a company in the lighting industry. Hmm. So for me, it I, I didn't really pursue what I was passionate about. Right. Um, although I became very passionate about lighting. And so I was in that industry then for 10 years. Was that not an option for you when you thought about learning? You well, know, training I looked at architecture and it, it meant five years at university and then two years uh, working in an organization to become registered. Yeah. And... Uh, and I just thought five years, another five years at school is just really going to do my head. Yeah, right. And uh, I'm I'm a kinesthetic learner, uh -huh. visual learner. Uh -huh. So listening to people in a classroom <laughs> and writing just really isn't my mm. cup of tea. Mm. So I, I'm more the sort of person who likes to get out and do things. Uh, I use um, drawing and mm. mind mapping a lot mm. to understand my thinking and my thought process. Yeah. Uh, I I generally like to learn by doing. Mm. So uh, for audio learners, they like to hear it. For visuals, they like to see it. And for kinesthetic learners, they tend to like to do it. Mm. So for me, it was a matter of getting out there and trying things and doing things. And um, that led me into lots of different opportunities. Yeah. Um, so I sort of ruled architecture out and, and thought at the time, you know, I'm probably just not smart enough to go through five years of school. <laughs> and never mind even getting into the um, university degree. So... I ruled that out as an option, and I looked at carpentry, and I, I just, I just didn't really gel with me as far as the career prospects were concerned. Mm. It was something I always enjoyed, mm. and I still enjoy it today, mm. and more so as a hobby. Yep. And so then I considered graphic design. Mm. My brother ended up going into graphic design. My father was a graphic designer and a technical illustrator, and so. Uh, it was a it was a discipline that was already in the family and we knew a fair bit about it and so i looked at that but when i inquired with aut as to to following and pursuing that career it it just really uh, it was the art the art that was coming out of the students that i'd be competing with was just so far ahead of what i was capable of mm. so i think i became a little disillusioned so so it sounds like you had quite a lot of if i may be so bold a lot of fairly limiting beliefs about what you could do yeah absolutely I where, did. where do you think that came from uh, well, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I mean, I was always reasonably confident in myself. Mm. Uh, again, I looked at graphic design. I thought my art's just not up to scratch. I was looking at architecture and just thought, I, I've not really enjoyed being in a classroom for mm. all these years. I don't really want to put myself in a situation where I'm in a classroom for another five years. Uh, and so I guess I looked for the next best option. Mm. And electronics was something, A, I was interested in it. And B, I thought it's definitely got a, a future 
And so I decided to do a six month course called the Technician Certificate and completed that. And before I knew it, I my father had made some inquiries mm-hmm. from my brother for a Christmas holiday job. And turned out um, the guy, one of the guys he talked to, wasn't looking for someone part time, but more full time. Yep. And I ended up getting that role and became, within a short time, space of time, became the sales manager in that company. We were in the lighting industry based down in Manukau City. And we helped grow that company from around about 300 clients to 1,200 mm-hmm. plus clients. And and I really enjoyed that work. And I eventually went out and set up my own business doing that. Yeah. And, um, and, and however, that business I set up back in uh, 1996, within a short few, three years, I found myself in a huge amount of, financial difficulty okay and it was really because i just didn't know what i didn't know yeah right you know we i i, I was a good technician i knew and understood lighting mm-hmm. and i i'd studied a um, illumination engineering mm-hmm. so uh at night school so I, I i certainly knew what i was doing from a technical perspective sure but i read uh, uh i i just didn't understand so how to of, manage that kind of emit thing right yeah the, so i read uh, i was just going like, to say yeah. that so, so after all of this happened, for those, sorry, for those of you guys who are listening to the Emeth talks about um, how a lot of businesses are started by somebody who's technically very skilled. Yeah. Uh, but that transition of being the technician through to actually being a the, manager and an entrepreneur. Yeah. The two, the three different skill sets. Yes. And, and I didn't learn this until I this uh, my business all came falling down around me, <laughs> and I read the email. I laugh, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we can laugh from experience. Yeah. Right. Uh, so. So I read the e-myth and I went, ah, I had an aha moment. I thought, okay. Cool. So I, yes, I, while I was a good technician, uh, I lacked a lot of understanding and experience around managing people, managing systems, managing money, mm. and uh, managing myself. And then also uh, didn't really didn't know, understand entrepreneurship, sure. know, managing risk, looking at opportunities, assessing opportunities, and balancing um, your investment against returns mm. and things. So... There was just so much I didn't know. Mm. And at 25, 26 years old, um, it all came unstuck. And so this was perhaps the beginning of your interest in financial education? or well, it was. What happened was I realized that, and particularly through reading Michael Gerber's book, he mentioned in there that this is a phenomenon, a problem that um, uh, occurs all around the world. Mm. Yep. So to some degree, I was relieved. I wasn't the only one this has happened to, but yeah. it gave me some solace, I guess. But sure. at the same time, I realized that if this is going on all over the show, some something's got to be done. Mm. I mean, surely we can do something to make a difference in some people's lives. Mm. And when I started to sit down and started thinking about it, I think some people lose their business. Mm. They lose their home. They lose, in some cases, they lose their family. They lose uh, friendships with, with people they've worked with. Uh, the staff and the organizations lose their jobs. Yeah. They inevitably end up owing money to creditors and the tax department. So those creditors lose that money and they also, you know, puts them under financial stress. Uh, the tax department misses out on the money they would have been collecting and therefore it has a, an overall effect on yeah. our economy. Look, straight up, I'll be honest with it, on this kind of front as well too, because it's, it's interesting as you speak about those kind of things mm. i feel like and it could be true for those listening as well mm. it's almost a similar response you have to when you hear a doctor telling you should exercise regularly or watch what you eat sure. that you go i'm sure this stuff is valuable and i'm sure that's all true but oh god like there's such a kind of burden to get my head around i'd rather mm. not think about it sure but you you had a really creative approach to this though you the, the way i'm leading towards the obviously yeah. the development of the game here yeah yeah uh so Walk me through that process. So what happened? What happened was I, uh, after uh, getting over feeling sorry for myself, I realized mm. there was an opportunity to do something to help other people mm. who faced the same situation I was in. ambitious to grow and build their own business. Uh, but also, I guess I was in my twenties, and I, I guess I wanted to prove to myself and prove to the world that you know I could yeah. accomplish something and do something worthwhile. Right. Um, and that hadn't worked out oh. uh, the way I'd expected it to, and uh, and so I thought to myself, look, if this if this is a problem, and a lot of people are setting up businesses in, and and then if they're finding that they're losing the business and it's falling over and it's not working out the way they expected, um, 
surely there's got to be something we can do about it. And, and obviously there is business education out there, but a, a lot of, and particularly New Zealanders, they, they don't consider, well, you know, oh, well, I'm next week I'm going to go and set up my new business. I think I better get some business education before I do that. Mm. You know, they wake up one morning with an entrepreneurial seizure, as Michael Gerber puts it, and says, <laughs> and says, hey, you know, I'm sick of working for Bob. I'm going to go and set up my own business. Yeah, right. Within several weeks, they've bought themselves a van, fitted it out, and bought some stock, and they're out there doing some business, you know. Mm. And because they don't really understand how to manage the systems and put the things in place, they can actually find it very difficult to mm. build a sustainable business. Yeah, sure. Now, that's not speaking for everybody because we certainly know people who have set up their first business. They've applied themselves. Mm. They've, they've, they've got some good customers on board. The money's starting to come in. They're managing things well. And they build a small business and, and eventually it grows. Mm. But that's not the case for everyone. And we see a lot of businesses that just don't work out. Because what are the numbers? It's something like uh, the number that survive is it the first two two years. They 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 quote numbers around about twenty percent of businesses survive the first two years. Wow, I, I, it's not quite as high as it's mm. not quite as quite as bad as that. Yeah, um, but it's still it's not it's not well. Pleasant. Even if it was less than fifty yeah. percent, right? I mean, that's yeah. still not it's a still not, not a, a huge not a good thing. And and the stats do show that in New Zealand, there's around about seven or eight thousand companies that close down in January February each year. Wow. Because I think, and I'm guessing that's because they come back from a Christmas holiday, yeah. New Year's, and they just go, I just can't face another year of that. I yeah, think I'm right. going to call it quits and find a job. And, and, and January and February tend to be a really good time of the year to go looking for new jobs. Sure. So Plus you're, you're closing in on the end of the financial year in March yeah, as well. So yeah. it's like, well, if I'm going to shut so, up shop, let's do it nice and clean. Yeah. So I think that's a, a motivator for a lot of people. And, and I think uh, that doesn't need to be. Mm. Um, so what I looked at doing was I, I came up with three ideas and uh, over the space of a few months and one of them was to set up a um, a creative space uh-huh. uh, and that would well, that would bring a lot of creatives together in one place that have a central office service that have shared services and that have an office each and, and a creative mm. lounge and the idea was they'd collaborate with one another they'd share mm. information they they would network they would they would introduce their clients to other people within the environment, mm. and, and they'd get this cross pollination of um, of work going on. And I and I, and I sort of nicknamed that creative space. Mm-hmm. Uh, we looked around at some spaces in '99 to actually launch that, uh, and just didn't get it off the ground. But then the other, the second idea was to create a business breakfast that um, formed business groups of four people, and. Uh, um, they would meet on a regular basis, weekly basis, and then once a month everyone would come together. Mm. And um, so we we looked at this uh, having a keynote speaker once a month, and the idea was to to give business support to business owners on a mm. weekly basis, but then a greater, okay, broader support to business people All right. on a monthly basis. I want to talk about that creative process for a moment, actually, mm. because that that whole idea, um, you know, where those two ideas came from, and you actually mentioned something as well, which I'd love to touch on too. Mm. Um, that whole sort of a, an aha moment, mm-hmm. because when we're looking at the, you know, the choices we want to make in our lives and making them as impactful as possible, yeah, um, that experience of having a, oh wow, mm. this is a, an opportunity. This is a, um, you know, as opposed to just the number of thoughts we have during a given day. Mm-hmm. So for you, mm-hmm. what is it that you look for that that basically tells you that this idea has got legs? Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so I would say I'd come up with unique ideas like this on a weekly and fortnightly basis. Yeah. And some days it's every couple of days and sometimes it, there's weeks before between. But I'll wake up with an idea. Mm. Uh, beginning In the first thing in the morning between the time I'm just waking up Mm. and the time I'm ready to get out of bed Mm. I'm almost still in that dream state where I'm very relaxed and my mind is is just starting to to get up to momentum would you call yourself a morning person or Uh, no I'm more of an evening person so I find it a little harder to get started in the morning preach that come on okay yeah (laughs) yeah but but what that does is it's a beautiful time of the day where I actually can lie in bed for 20 minutes half an hour Uh and I'm I'm daydreaming essentially right and um, and it's a very creative time for me. Hmm. So so that would be something you do every day. 
uh, almost. Yeah. If I, if I've got to get up at you know four thirty and get yeah, off to no, a meeting, enough, or yeah. you know, I'm I'm not spending any time doing that. No, fair enough. And six o'clock. <laughs> But if, if, if I don't need to be somewhere first thing in the morning and I've got, in a, and I, I'm not in a huge rush, mm. I might, you know, wake up at 6.30 and mm. then get out of bed at 7 uh-huh. or wake up at 7, get out of bed at 7.30 on yeah. some occasions um, and just use that time to reflect and to also imagine. So I have a very strong imagination. Yeah. So... I, I can't spend all day using my imagination, dreaming up all sorts of things, but uh-huh. I I don't find it very e- difficult to come up, to with, come up with all sorts of new ideas. So and then, so I'm doing how that do you, all the time. Yeah, so then how do you decide of those ideas that you have, um, how do you decide which ones you turn into an actual thing yeah. um, versus, oh, that was a fun idea. Yeah, so what I do is I if, it, if I think it's got legs and I think it's got some potential, I'll write it down. Uh-huh. Um, is there something that intuitively tells you that or do you just no that's that's i guess there's a gut, a gut instinct to some degree and i said yeah. oh that's a blending idea uh-huh uh so if that's the case i'll definitely record that uh-huh. but because i've been doing this now for such a long time hmm. i've fallen out of a habit of actually writing them down okay because there's so many ideas coming Mm. Uh, I, I, I've realized that I could never actually realize all of them. Would you have always said you were very creative, though? I don't know if it's... See, you see, I look at some creative people and they're incredible illustrators, yeah. artists. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I call that creative. Yeah, right. I see people who can paint and yeah. I call that creative. I see people who can weave yeah. or carve and I think that's creative. Where are you I, hanging out where you're meeting all these weavers? Yeah. Is there like a weaving association? Uh, I'm not a, anyway, sorry, carry on. So, so I'm thinking, you know, is what I do creative? I guess it is. Um, Why I would it not be? Well, it, this, you know, we're in a room right now. We're in a living room. It's probably four and a half meters by three and a half meters a rectangle. One one wall here we've got is almost all glass, and we're looking at it ring toto, right mm-hmm. across the harbor. Yep. Now. In the future, what we will do is we will pick up our cell phone and instead of looking at it ringtoto, I'll just hit a couple of buttons, cruise mm. the internet and say, I want to see Times Square live or I want to be in the desert. I want to be in a rainforest. Mm. Um, the speakers in the ceiling will have the noise associated and I can mm. sit here looking at the window. Instead of looking at ringtoto, I'm mm. looking out at a rainforest and I'm hearing all the noises of the animals yeah, sure. and the water flowing and the rain dropping. Mm. And, and those are the types of things I'm imagining. Okay. And now I came up with an idea like that. I was asking people, when are we going to do that 10 years ago? Okay. And that technology is starting to emerge now. Sure. So I'm a, I guess I would consider myself a bit of a futurist. Uh-huh. I'm looking at what's coming next. Sure. Um, you know, I'm, I was, I was teaching a class last night and we we're talking about future, you know, industry insight. Okay. We're looking at, I'm asking them to think about their particular industry and work out what will that industry look like in 10 mm. years time. What are the next insights that are going to change their industry? And, and and they need to consider those types of things because they don't want to get left behind. Mm. They don't want to see something new technology come along. All of a sudden, it disrupts their industry and sure. they're out of a job or out of a business. And we want them to consider those types of things. And so I was talking about, for instance, our board game. Uh-huh. And I said, look, at the moment, I've got a physical board. And it's made out of cardboard. And it's got printing on both, mm. you know, one side. But in the future, you'll have a clear plastic tube. You'll take out of it a, a nice rolled up, flat, clear piece of plastic. You'll lay it on the table. You'll hit the button on the corner and the whole right. thing will illuminate. Mm. And it's just all made out of a digital, um, a nano digit, you know, digital yeah. technology. Uh-huh. So there'll be um, a lot of circuitry involved on this clear plastic, but mm. it's all at a nano scale. So yeah, you can't sure. see it with the naked eye. Yeah, right. So there'll be a latticework of... of um, LEDs, nano LEDs, there'll mm. be a lot of electronics, there'll be a battery woven into this. You won't be able to see a thing, mm. but it's all there working in the background and it'll potentially in, in time create a hologram so you'll see things coming <laughs> up off the game board. You um, see, because I, I hear that and I hear a high degree of creativity though. Mm. So to come back to that particular point then. Mm. Um, so I'm dreaming up things like this all the time. Yeah. And you know to come back to your original question how do you recognize whether that's a good idea or not yeah well it's a good idea but you can you imagine that the, the amount of money i'd have to and time i'd have to invest sure. to get that technology actually off the ground and working mm. and and so 
there'll be someone working on this somewhere in the world mm. and there's so many times I come up with ideas and I think oh wouldn't it be great if we could do this sure and, and yet three or four weeks later I find someone's actually already doing it and that happens a lot so okay. so I'm there are really high tech um, concepts and mm. ideas that I come up with mm. that I just believe someone will do it at some point I don't right. need to worry about it right so I've got past this idea of hey look I've got to write it down because one day I might do it yeah. You know, 20 years ago, I was I was thinking, you know, one day you'll actually um, have little trucks that deliver petrol to to you rather than you having to go to the gas station. And oh, yeah. they'll go around car parks and corporates oh, right. and, and warehouses, factories, and they'll just fill up all the cars. They'll go from one car to the next, filling the car up for, yeah. who they, for whoever needs it. And... Um, and you will never have to go to a gas station again. Mm. And so, so you get the, that personal service. They mm. they'll wipe your windows down. They'll mm. you know, clean the car up. But I mean, obviously, we, these days we're going more in the direction of electric cars, and mm. you'll see more and more in the future. Um, we'll be going away from petrol-driven and diesel-driven mm. vehicles. But you know, I'm I'm always looking into the future as as mm. what, what's coming next. And so, I, what do you think? Sorry to jump in on that mm. point then, because. Um, something that stood out to me along those lines, um, I just read Simon Sinek's Start oh, With yeah. Why. Yeah, cool. Um, and he talks about at one point, uh, you know, the why is, is at the core of what, we what, do. what we're doing and how it becomes impactful and transformational. Mm. Um, but he talks about the those who are why individuals mm. um, and partnering those who are the how yes. kind of individuals. Mm. So from listening to you talk right now, you're, you're looking for the how people. I am definitely looking for how people. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I had a meeting yesterday morning with a, with a how person yeah. and uh, talking to them about partnering with them on some work we're doing. Mm. And uh, So what do you look for in a how person? Uh yeah that's a good question um obviously someone with some initiative mm -hmm. uh someone with a little bit of track track record a bit of experience mm -hmm. um i mean that's not to say that people without the experience don't have the ability to create uh, the how mm -hmm. and to and to generate results um because i found working in universities for instance and in high schools that you give give students a, a challenge, give them a problem, and they can certainly go out and solve it. Yeah. And I've seen some amazing students over the last five years do some incredible work mm -hmm. uh, with, with the resources they have at their um, disposal and have been blown away by their capacity and their mm -hmm. capabilities. So it's not that experience is the be-all and end-all, mm -hmm. but uh, particularly with what I'm trying to accomplish at the moment, um, I am talking to someone who has a wealth of experience, and I think that will go yeah. a long way to helping. Mm. And, and I guess we're um, edging around. Uh, we haven't really talked about the game yet at all. <laughs> uh, but, but at that's the same right. that's time, how these conversations yeah, tend to go. Uh, we come in with a plan, and we end but, up wherever the heck we end up. But you know, coming back to, and I'll touch on this again in a minute with the people and what I'm looking for. But going back to your comment about Simon Sinek, yeah. Uh, just before we were, we'd been working on market share, the, the the board game we were developing for probably eighteen months, and mm. um, I had the opportunity to sit down for a couple of hours with a, a mentor, mm. and we were really just gaining some ideas to whether or not this was someone we wanted to work with, and he's an absolutely brilliant, brilliant mentor, mm -hmm. uh, really great guy, and we were I guess we were assessing whether or not we were going to run with with him or or with another crowd. And uh, and he showed me that video with um, Simon Siddick, How mm. Great Leaders Inspire Action, which is a great video. And I certainly highly recommend that people watch that. It's, um, uh, for me, that was, that was another memorable moment. And uh, it really helped me clarify why I was wanting to do to build the game. Mm. And I related back to uh, the organization in the States called MAD, um, M-A-D-D, -D, Mothers Against Drink Driving. And oh, okay. a, a woman who'd lost her son to a motor, motor accident, a mm. drunk driver, um, was obviously grieving for the loss of his son and, and realized there's got to be something that she could do to um, make a difference. Right. And so she started this organization to you know, develop awareness around drink driving and to mm. try and reduce the number of drink drivers they have on the road. And I think what she was doing is she was harnessing that, that um, the energy of mm. that that, um, that grief, I guess, yeah. and um, and the loss that she'd experienced, and wanted to to do something good. Mm. 
And I guess that's how I looked at what I was doing. I'd lost my business and I'd felt very upset about that and grieved by it and, and felt the loss of it. And I wanted to use that energy to uh, create something that would help other people. Mm. And so I, I guess that was the motivation. And when I watched Simon Siddick's video and understood that concept about you know why you do what you do, mm. it actually brought tears to my eyes because I realized I really became quite cognizant of why I was trying to mm. develop this mm. and, and it really was to to help people who wanted to build a business mm. to succeed and through that exercise we we looked at and uh, you know they asked me to look at um, eight eight reasons why I was doing it mm. and it was tough I found the first three or four reasons weren't too hard to find but the <laughs> four five six seven and eight was yeah. I really had to start thinking about why I'm doing it. And it helped me clarify. So we took that concept of understanding why you do what you do. And mm. I developed uh, our purpose statement, mm. which mm. was to uh, grow our local economy through business education. Uh-huh. To help entrepreneurs build better businesses. Mm-hmm. And to increase the financial literacy of our next generation. Yeah. And today, that that drives everything we do. Right. So if we're making decisions, if it lines up with one of those three things, we're doing it. If it mm. doesn't, then we don't get involved in it. Mm. Mm. So even I think I've, in reflection, I've actually taken that into my personal life as well. So I do sure. a lot of things. I volunteer in a lot of organizations and I end up taking on roles and contracts that are in line achieving with that, in yeah. line with that. Yeah. So I think it's even become more of a personal purpose yeah. than just our company purpose. Uh, and so today I've, you know, if I look back over the five years and reflect, I've been involved with Young Enterprise mm. as a mentor and a judge. And I've um, been involved with Startup Weekend, you know, helping entrepreneurs mm. build businesses. Yeah, right. I've been involved in the, as a judge for the Westpac, Innova- uh, yeah. Westpac Business, Business Awards, Awards yeah. for Innovation. Okay. Uh, again, you know, helping sure. organizations understand where they're, how they're, how they're, um, um, how they are, what's the word I'm looking for, um, managing their businesses in line with other business and, mm. and, and giving them an opportunity to meet, benchmark their businesses against others. Yeah. Uh, been involved with um, the Mass University, the Wonder Room uh, mm. Innovation, yeah. helping business and, uh, and other students around the university um, gain a better understanding of how business works and how to, how to think through their yeah. businesses. It's so, interesting as you as you say that too. Yeah. Um, something I've noticed is a common thread with a lot of entrepreneurial journeys mm. is that there tends to have been some kind of an experience. And I'm not saying this is essential, but it's a trend I've noticed mm. where there's been some kind of a negative experience, uh, event, circumstance, whatever mm. it might mm. be. Um, and in many ways, that that disappointment, that pain becomes the architect for its own destruction because mm. whoever it was that suffered through it, mm. um, I've heard it from, you know, those in education, those yeah. in training, yeah. uh, all sorts where it just takes a person who sees that experience not as a uh, as a limiting, um, uh, kind of like a, almost like an epitaph, mm. uh, but instead sees it as, oh, well, that happened to me. You know what? I'm actually going to come back at this thing. Yeah. Um, and that's what's going to be... I, I think that does drive us. And, yeah. and I think... Uh... My my wife Karen is um, a good example. She's suffered with uh, uh, not so much food allergies, but they, mm-hmm. I guess they are food allergies: uh, gluten, uh, dairy, yeah, uh, sugar, uh, for for most for half of her life. Right, and uh, that's have had a, you know a very negative effect on her life and her lifestyle. Sure. And so over that time, she's had to teach herself and learn how to manage her diet mm. and. Um, and look after herself, you know, where to find the right supplements and, mm. and, and, and minerals and things to, to actually sustain a, a, a healthy lifestyle. Mm. And in doing so, she's realized that she's really, really passionate about that whole industry and helping mm. other people mm. who are facing the same problem. And so she's been off and she's trained as a nutritionist and now she offers a, a nutritional service to um to clients who are either going through bout of cancer and doing treatment or they're looking to manage weight yeah uh, or they're just looking to, for sports um mm. uh, and pediatrics you know young, mm, young mm. kids who are dealing with um 
uh, food allergies and things mm. where parents are just pulling their hair out because yeah. they don't know what to give their yeah, children. Yeah, yeah, right. So she's 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 actually again taken that pain and she's turned that into something positive that she's yeah. now helping other people mm. and she's hugely passionate about it. And I think yeah. I think that as you said, Andrew, there's a there is seems to be a huge number of people who, who go through a challenge, yeah. and see it as a challenge. They overcome the challenge, or they or they're working through overcoming the challenge, yeah. and they want to they want to they want to you know stand up against that challenge yeah. and, and do something punch positive. Punch it in the face. Yeah, punch it in the face <laughs> is a good analogy. And I you know I, I guess I lost my first business and it was, and I and when I was when I was twenty six when I had to close that down and yeah. and I think my whole journey of developing the business game to help yeah people is really also helping me yeah and it's helping me learn i like that about business i'm Mm. still learning every day Mm. um one of the other things i'm now doing i'm teaching uh, a certificate in small business management okay as a level four paper so i do that on a tuesday night six till nine and again that's another way for me to be able to input Mm. into uh, business people's lives Mm. and and so i guess i'm uh, lining up a lot of the things that I do yeah. are in line with my purpose and the why. Well, you made that comment as well, actually. It struck me when you're talking about how, how your your business purpose is crossed over to your personal purpose. But mm. if, if I was to make an observation on that, I mean, businesses don't have purposes. People do. Yes. You know, yeah, exactly. and, and, and we have this belief that there is, uh, you know, there's your, your work self, your business mm. self, and then there's your home self it's a it's a very western i think uh concept concept. Mm. um but people are people Mm. in every environment and Mm. i mean even in my my line of work and um just general interest uh there's been a period of time where we've told ourselves you can treat a person a certain way at work and that's quote unquote just business yeah uh and then you know there's this way that you treat people when that you know their friends and family and stuff Mm. but of course we don't work like that human beings don't have a switch that goes oh well i've just been screwed over oh but it was business oh well that's okay then yeah no so we we hear people say oh look it's not personal it's just business but it was personal to the person that just lost the job yeah yeah it's always personal (laughs) (laughs) it might not be personal from your perspective but the person who just got fired Mm. takes it very personally so yeah uh i i think i think yeah you've made a good observation there is that people people make up an organization yeah organizations are full of people and Mm. they all have personalities they all look at the world slightly differently yeah they all have different expectations they all have different values and beliefs they all have and and it's that that diversity of those uh, those backgrounds those beliefs those values Mm. that people hold that make you know create the create the interest in, a, in an organization and they all bring something valuable to that business yeah well i mean technically a business is just a piece of paper in a drawer yeah you know sure. it's 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 a it's something registered with the company's office yeah and if you, uh that's yeah so i mean if you look at the value of an organization it's usually made up of the people in yeah. that organization yeah. and that's where uh investing into people is, is mm. really important mm. and so i've I, you know as we've uh, launched the market share game and we've, mm. we've taken it into schools mm. i originally thought that um it was going to have the biggest impact a uh, year 11 12 and 13 students in a mm. high school studying business mm. and um and then well, look let's actually i'm going to jump in on this point yeah. because um this is a great time to start talking about the game in mm. specifics um, mm. which we haven't done so far so mm. um just by way of a bit of context what what is this game that we're talking about can you tell me uh, just a bit of a summary of what it is okay so it it started out as a, a board game mm-hmm. and it on it's called market share mm-hmm. we created a, a board which has 64 spaces on it eight mm-hmm. by eight mm-hmm. matrix like just like a chess board and it, and it um uh, displays new zealand companies mm-hmm. real new zealand companies starting with soho businesses that's a, a small operation home office uh-huh. so someone operating one or two people out of a home office space mm. And then we transition into uh, up the board into small businesses. It's usually two or three people up mm. to twenty, and then uh, medium companies that are the twenty to one hundred fifty. Mm. <clears throat> then we move into large companies and international businesses. And so the board's covered in a, a multitude of different organisations. And as a player of the game, what you're doing is you're building your small business. You're resourcing your business with business resources, both human and non-human resources. Mm. And as you do so, it allows you to then engage with bigger 
organizations on the board mm. but until you have those resources in place uh things like a, a, a you know a van to do some deliveries a computer and some software some sales training um, an office mm. and these type of things um then you start in, uh, engaging in some staff bringing sure. on some team members and across different business centers okay so the sales. So, so that's what the game does yeah but why do i want to play it because it's fun, it's educational, it's engaging, and it's highly computer. <laughs> Tell and, me like you care. Come and, on. And like, unfortunately, sorry. yeah, it's addictive. Yeah. So it's so so. I, I mean, I do want to speak to this a little more powerfully though, because I know that I mean those, those things being true. Yeah. But in terms of you know what really kind of drives you with with this game as well, like yeah. this thing is, it's the answer to, or at least I guess one of your ways of answering this financial literacy thing, which was a part sure. of this. I guess this disappointment that you experienced, right? Yeah. So, as I said, we, we started playing in schools and then we found that um, primary schools wanted to use it to teach maths to their students. We found right. that organizations want to play it with their staff to engage and teach. Mm. Uh, we find individuals just want to play it because it's business and they're just interested in business. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, once someone has played the game, we mm. find that they're highly motivated and highly engaged by it. That's interesting. And, and I don't think I've come across anyone who's said... Uh, I wouldn't play that again. Huh. I've had one lady who said I really enjoy playing poker and I'd rather play poker than this. <laughs> but but uh, she's the only person who said she would. All wouldn't. of life's a gamble, I suppose. <laughs> yes. So, um, you know, generally speaking, we play it for an hour or two hours uh-huh. in sessions, okay. and most people I've come across want to keep playing beyond that. Okay. And seem disappointed when they have to stop playing it. So. Yeah. Um, that's that's are these, are these these are these are school children as well. These are nine and ten year olds right through to adults in wow. business. Right. Uh, we had the opportunity to play with some CEOs uh, just a few weeks ago, and again, really engaged. Mm. They wanted to keep playing. Mm. I, I, I dare say they would have kept playing all day if they'd had the opportunity. See, what's cool to me in this as well. At the very beginning, you spoke about your experience of um, education and not particularly enjoying it, but saying how you were very much more of a kinesthetic mm. uh, learner, mm. and so the fact that this board games an expression of that yeah it's really cool I, I think the thing is and, and karen keeps mentioning this to me um i hadn't really consider, considered it before and she said look the the thing with a board game is when you're learning it's covering off the auditory mm. it's coming off right. the visual yeah and it's covering off this kinesthetic mm. so you're you're reading mm. you're you're seeing visually mm. and you're also doing and experiencing at the same time sure so we we're focusing now around the game. We've talked about financial literacy, and that was really where we were focused initially. But what we've found through playing it in primary schools, particularly, yeah. they're picking up on the fact that you're now you're now engaging in collaboration, right? Teamwork, yeah. Critical thinking, problem solving, decision making, your strategy, mm. risk, money management, mm. resource planning. Mm. Uh, resilience because what happens in the game is well you, if you're not yeah. winning yeah. You, you're starting to feel a little bit stink so <laughs> i've seen that happen a lot of times and but but the nice thing about this game is that you might be playing it for half an hour an hour and be falling behind but mm. it's not the end of the game and i've seen so many times the game turn around yeah right and the person who might have been trailing actually catches up and starts to lead yeah and so the game dynamic ebbs and flows mm. and so uh we talk particularly with young kids about resilience and how you're dealing with the loss that's cool in fact i had that conversation with an adult oh yeah a, a how few did that days go? ago and a few weeks ago i said look don't give up yet just keep on going yeah there could be a comeback yeah and sure enough they kept on applying themselves and did mm. make the comeback and felt really great about that it, so that resilience yeah. thing well well it seems like it's not a big deal I think mm, no, it's massive. You know, teaching this to kids yeah. and how to deal with setbacks, yeah, and and how to manage those emotions that come when you're feeling that setback. Mm. Actually, you know, we naturally, when we observe children playing it mm. and, and the adults, we see that disappointment, mm. we see the frustration, mm. we see that anguish and all the anxiety building up, and with a little bit of encouragement. Um, they they can get their mind around it and then push back and push through and, sure. and and be the resilient. In other cases, we just see it naturally happening. Yeah, right. They just they go. No, I'm not giving up. I'm just going to keep going. Yeah, cool. And, and it's that tenacity that actually mm. is a is a. I think that's an important attribute to have mm. in business is the ability to actually keep pushing through mm. against adversity. Have you read um, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow? 
no. Daniel Kahneman. No, I haven't. Um, he makes a point in there, and I got quite excited mm. in myself while you were telling that story, particularly about kids, because one mm. of the things that he, he talks about is the whole quality of making decisions, right? Yeah. And what can paralyze a lot of people is the amount of weight they put on any one given decision. Yes, got it. Uh, you know, has to be right, has to be wrong, and mm. it's end mm. of the world if I get it wrong, and yeah. all this kind of stuff. Sure. And the strategy that he talks about in the book is to say that some of the people who are best at dealing with that kind of thing yeah. are people who are stock traders yeah. because they have to make hundreds of decisions every single day. Yeah. And they learn very quickly that you're not going to nail every decision, but no. that's okay. Yeah. And so you'll, okay you'll, to get yeah, you'll get some of them wrong. Yeah. And so with this experience for kids, mm. uh, and then I guess people of any age, mm. you put them in an environment, it's an intensified, air quotes again, I don't work very well on podcasts. Air quotes, everyone. Um, an intensified environment where they, yeah. they make a number of decisions mm. over a short period of time yeah. and experience the fact that they're not going to get them all right, but they can get some wrong and yeah. still get and a positive still outcome. still get a positive outcome. That's right. And an interesting thing, we've had some feedback uh, from a team that went over to China to validate uh, the market, mm. uh, particularly around... Um, corporate education sure and that this and, and the thing that came out of that um, body of work was that managers in china are looking for tools um, and training mm. to upskill their local talent mm. and decision making interesting and i thought that was interesting when i first heard it and and it turns out that um, a lot a lot of organizations are moving into china yeah western organizations setting up offices uh, employing local managers and and realizing that they haven't been given those opportunities yeah. to develop those decision-making mm. skills mm. Uh, in the past and now they've been given the opportunity to make decisions for themselves they're struggling you're right and so they see market share as a great tool okay uh, and, and with the right facilitators in place to actually mm. be able to talk about you know well, how does how does decision making impact you how mm. do you assess uh, the all of the criteria and making good decisions sure. and how do you how do you make decisions? Like you just said, mm. how, how do you get past this issue that if I make this decision and it's wrong, I'm going to be in a whole lot of trouble and it's mm. going to be life-threatening or yeah. you know, the anxiety levels around making some decisions can be very high for mm. some people. So how do we actually give them the opportunity to learn, make decisions in a safe environment yes. so they can get used to making those decisions yeah. and see the outcomes? Mm. And then when they take that skill they've honed yeah. back into the work environment, they feel a little bit more at ease about yeah. making decisions, and so I think that's a that's a strength that's a, that's a muscle that we need to actually yeah, help people like that. develop. Yeah, well, I mean, the great irony of, of decision making is that at, at its fundamental, the best way to learn how to make decisions is to start making decisions, isn't it? It is. <laughs> so, it's like public speaking. Yeah, you know, yeah. The only yeah. way to get over your fear of public speaking is, is go the, do some yeah, public yeah, speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Right, and, and and while that's a very that can be very difficult to put yourself out and be vulnerable in that environment, mm. it is really one of the best ways to do that. Mm. I mean, there are always skills and tools you can learn and develop to, um, to to become a better public speaker. Sure, um, but getting over those nerves is really just about getting out there and giving it a go. And the more you do it, the more confident you become. Yeah, yeah, mm. and even that process too of um, again finding your your thing mm. that you do. Mm. Um, again, if I was to speak to my observation, um, you know, when you're a kid, you have this belief of what life's going to be like when you're a grown up. Sure. You know, yeah. so what do you want to be when you're a grown up? Mm. And I have yet to meet someone, you know, a child who names five things. Mm. They usually go, I want to be this. Yeah. So there's this idea that when I get older, I will find this thing that I do mm. and that will be me. Yep. Uh, but of course, you speak to anyone who is then in their twenties or in mm. their thirties or even in their fifties, and you mm. say, "Do you feel like a grown-up now?" Mm. Uh, and again, I haven't had a person go, "Oh yeah, absolutely," because <laughs> right. I, I feel like, and this is just my take on it too, that the idea of being a grown-up has an idea of completion about it, which just doesn't exist. No, you know, when 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 I have arrived, at, at what point do you arrive at your destination? Yeah, yeah. And so this idea of again making this one choice. Like you think about how kids freak out mm. and it's the worst thing that we do, I think, to high school students, 14, 15 year olds and say, so what do you want to do when you grow up? Oh, yeah. That is a hell of a thing to drop on somebody yeah. who can be, like, can't even drive a car yet. Yeah. Be like, but what are you going to do with your career for the rest of your well, life? Well, yeah. What are you, how are you going to spend your life? So this idea that you can mm. make choices and, and hopefully this is, this is where I can see a lot, a, a, an aspect of value for this. Yeah. 
if you can show somebody that, hey, look, have you noticed, by the way, when we played this market share game that you, you made a whole bunch of choices, some worked, some didn't, and then yeah. eventually you, you know, you, you developed over the course. Yeah. Imagine if you applied that thinking to other areas of your life. Yeah you know to mm. to your career mm. to even little things like mm. i mean well here's a here's a here's a good example okay of coming back to creativity good okay all right um i was invited to go to albany junior high school to a the the inauguration or the setup of the the um launch of um the business academy okay they were going to launch and, oh. and john key was a guest yeah and at which point i was able to um actually shake his hand and mm -hmm. um, meet him prior prior to that i'd sent him a copy of the market share game and he oh, yes. sent me a letter in response thanking me for it and all the rest <laughs> of it and uh so so um sometime later yes i had this dream yeah and uh, I recall the dream, we were set up in the school field at Albany Junior High School, very long table with students and teachers milling around, just getting ready to sit down at the, at the table to enjoy lunch. Yeah. At which point I'd been invited to talk about market share. So okay. I was getting very excited and the anticipation of being able to share what we were doing. Uh -huh. uh, at the other end of this very long table, John Key stood. Right. And... and, and the proceedings started, he, he sat, he stood up, everyone had sat down, we were all listening to him and he started telling us about this board game that the Ministry <laughs> of Education were going to launch. Getting snaked by the Ministry. And, and I thought, yeah. I thought, oh, that's a bit unfair, talking about a board game when I was stealing my thunder. Yeah. And so I, I thought, okay, so we'll listen to what he said. And he started telling us all about this amazing board game that was going to help people understand how to choose their career path mm. and how mm. to make decisions and how to mm. think about their future and how they were going to develop uh, some choices around where they wanted to study, how they were going to study and, and how to pick those mm. um, subjects that they were going to need to study at high school to get them into the right career yeah, right. path. And so, so he explained all of this game. And I'm just going, oh, you've got to be kidding. That sounds much better than my game. Uh, that's a legendary game. I really reckon that would be very, very cool. Yeah. Um, I, I'm such a shame I didn't come up with that idea myself. So anyway, I, I, oh, I must have woken up a few minutes later. And yeah. I sat there and go, oh, what? I was actually woke up from this dream, yeah. feeling disappointed that I hadn't come up with that idea. <laughs> You can I just imagine it. it. I'm yeah. lying there and a yeah. few seconds later it dawns on me. Actually, you, you I just did. dreamt that. <laughs> that is my idea. I'm going to have that. Great. So do you see yeah. how yeah. I, dreams can actually really yeah. lead to um, creative ideas? And yeah. I, I do dream a lot and I actually yeah. really enjoy dreaming. Yes. And, and I, I wake up. I mean, some of the dreams I have are just bizarre and off the planet, but... Mm. Uh, at the same time, some of them have some serious value in them, and yeah. I've been able to take those uh, dreams and actually you know, yeah. utilize some of the ideas that I've had mm. while in that dream state. So, so that uh, that's a, another board game we'll develop okay. at some point. Well, I mean, from what you said, it doesn't sound too dissimilar to what market share already helps. Yeah, to some degree, but the the. I think that this new game, um, it was all centered really around um, how, how to choose subjects that you're going to take to lead you into the degree mm. path, mm. the study path that you want to, mm. to pursue once you leave high school mm. and helping you understand what's required, the prerequisites and how to make those decisions. Can I make a suggestion? Mm. The risk of stirring the pot? Mm. Um, even that idea that we have in our culture right now, mm. that our pathway to the life that we want is through tertiary education. Mm. Um, you know, there are certain careers mm. uh, that don't require that. Exactly. And, and that's, that's a good point. And it's, it's something that uh, we've, we've talked about uh, since I've been sharing the idea with a few other people. Yep. Uh, and, and again, we may need to adapt this game so mm. that people can actually decide, hey, if I'm, if I'm going to go down this career path, what do I want to be studying at school? Yeah, right. So when I was at school, I was studying physics, technical drawing, art, Mm. and mathematics okay and they're all subjects that really led well into architecture mm. Mm. now fast forward from school when i left at 18 to 30 years old and now i'm all, all of a sudden i'm realizing i would really like to be an architect mm. 
Mm. It's something that I've always wanted to do. It's something I'm really passionate about. And I had this aha moment and I decided if I wanted to spend the rest of my life doing something that I love myself, what would it be? And it it took me three seconds to work it out. And I thought, you know, I'd be designing houses that make people go well. Cool. And so I, I then changed tact from where I had been, where I was going. And I decided, you know, I'm just going to throw everything into architecture. Yeah. And eventually, and and finally, now, you know, twelve years later, realize the dream. Yeah. So I, I uh, had a chat to a couple of the universities, and within a few weeks, I was enrolled at um, Unitech to study architecture for the following year. Right. And uh, really loved that. Yeah. Which led me into owning my own practice and working with some really amazing people and working mm. with um, a, a local uh, property developer. And, uh, you know, after, after now 14 years being in the industry, mm. I still really love it today. Yeah. So then how did the, the education thing happen? Was that parallel to that or was that, did it grow out of, I don't know, was it running at the same time? I mean, the education was as at, far as the game? Or? Well, yeah. I mean, just because you're involved, like I said, with, with the game, sure. But then yeah. also with teaching and, and yeah. those sorts of things as well. Where so, was that while so, you were doing So what happened is, um, architecture took a bit of a, I took a bit of a step backwards, back out of architecture back in 2012 and mm. spent two years working full-time on market share. Mm. Then I, I started finding, I found my way back into the architectural side of things mm. a few years later and have been back now for two years. And uh, and again, really enjoying it. I, I have to admit though, I, I really love what I do with market share and mm. it's I guess my first and foremost, my passion and where I want to really see myself in 10 years. Mm. Uh, and so, with this understanding that the game has an educational aspect to it, more and more we have found that um, people want me to be in front of a classroom, right, or in front of a crowd, yeah. delivering and facilitating the market share game hmm. and the learning outcomes that bring with it, uh, are brought with it. So, I've realised that. Being in front of a group of people talking mm. is, is a skill that I need to develop. So I've okay. been developing that for three years. Yeah. Uh, being in a classroom yeah. uh, is a skill that I need to develop. Mm. So when I've ta- been given opportunities to, to take mm. on roles like that, I've jumped at them. Do you think so? Do you think the, the experiences you've had have been the things that have developed you towards that? Like if you look back, say, you know, mm. back to when you were 25 or so and had that yeah. first business challenge. Um, do you think you would have approached these opportunities the same way back then? No. And so what changed? Not at all. Uh, I think I think the, that first business that I said um, came unstuck when I was 26 was the catalyst for me to consider how do I make a change. But right. if you'd asked me at that point, do you see yourself in 10 years time in a classroom, in an yeah. organization, delivering a business education Mm. i would never have thought of that i guess and the skill set that i have today is only really a a reflection of the experience that i've gained over the last 10 12 years right that have put me in the position to do this even the market share game originally came up with the idea in 1999 and we didn't develop it and start prototyping until 2019 years later right okay if you'd asked me to go and do what i did in 2010 and 11 and 12 yeah. uh, back in 1999 I wouldn't have been able to do it mm. I wouldn't have had the experience and the insight and understanding I needed to actually do that so it was a there was a journey of growth yeah over 10 years that put me in a position where I could actually go and execute my plan you know it's really cool as you say that I'm, I'm thinking to anyone who's younger um, than you or I perhaps yeah uh, listening to this as well the whole idea of a 10-year journey yeah when you're 15 yeah, <laughs> you know, you're you thinking know? in ten years. Thinking, my life's over in ten years. Like, okay. Yeah, I'm not thinking ten years ahead. But I think uh, what's what I guess what I'm looking to touch on yeah. with this is is that yeah. understanding of of the process. Yeah. Because you know, with even with what you're saying now, the way that you respond to opportunities to do something different that you're unfamiliar with now yes. versus you know back then yeah. is a reflection of that process that you've been yeah, on. Yeah, I you know we started a market share in two thousand nine. And we're in 2017 now. Mm. We're talking eight years we've been working on this. Yeah. And I remember when I first started out, uh, I knew it was going to be a difficult journey. I uh-huh. knew I had a huge amount in front of me. Mm. Uh, I knew there was going to be adversity. You know, uh, um, adversity. Adversity. There you go. Good word. Anytime. And uh, <laughs> I knew it was going to be, you know, a lot of hard work. Yeah. 
I remember my father asking me about that and and questioning whether or not I really wanted to invest so much time and money into mm. this project. Mm. And my answer to him was that Peter Jackson spent nine years going around studios looking for the funding to put Lord of the Rings together. Mm. Mm. There was no after no after no for nine mm. years. Mm. And he had the tenacity to keep going at it and right. look, at, look at the result. Yeah, and, and that the results of Lord of the Rings obviously also paved the way for him to do other projects sure. that he was passionate about, like sure. King Kong and other things that he's been able to go on and do. Mm. And and so I, th- I I look at I looked at that and I thought, you know, if he can do that for nine years and take yeah. all those no's and take all that hard work and 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 you know, it's possible. One of my favorite uh, quotes I've read recently, and I'll paraphrase. Mm. Um, along those lines and it ties into that earlier discussion we had about resilience mm. was that we sometimes say to people you know what if you knew you couldn't fail yeah you know what what would you do what, what would, would you, you put yourself, if you yeah. knew you couldn't fail yeah uh and uh one author i read um Brene brown made this point about saying how well look in life that's not necessarily a realistic approach you know just right. say well what sure. if i couldn't it wouldn't fail well chances are you might <laughs> yeah you know but the thing she said that i actually found really inspiring was to say well instead and this is what i think speaks to what's motivated you she said instead what if even if you failed would have been worth the effort regardless of the outcome yeah yeah and that's a really great way of looking at it if i you know i watched uh, the bucket list the other day for the second time yeah and in there they talked about uh, the egyptians uh-huh. They said that they had a, the belief that when they went to heaven, mm. they were given two questions. And one was, did you find joy in your life? Yeah. And did you impart joy into other people's lives? And depending on how you answered those two questions, determined whether or not they'd let you into heaven. Now, I huh. thought that was really interesting at the time. Yeah, right. And... Uh, and, and I just thought to myself, they asked that first question. I thought, you know what? I've just spent the day with a whole group of teachers yeah. running a workshop mm. around innovation. And I absolutely loved it. Nice. And I just thought, you know what? I have. Being in front of a group of people, imparting experience and some of my knowledge, and but, but also giving them an opportunity to learn... And, and watching them actually teaching one another and gaining mm. gaining insight out of the work we were doing brought me immense joy. Mm. And then when they asked my asked you know have you imparted joy into other people's lives, I just reflected on the, f- the fact that they had such a wonderful time. They were highly engaged. They gave us some really great feedback, and there were a lot of laughs. Yeah. And I just th- th- thought, you know, if I don't judge my life by whether or not. I've accomplished those two things, mm. but they are really great things to measure your life by. Mm. Uh, and I just thought, you know, it's really nice to know that I am doing something that I love doing mm. and that I do bring joy uh, to other people. So I, I think, you know, for me, that, yeah. that's uh, a huge reward. That is amazing. Mm. Look, we've probably got like one minute left. (laughs) So um, for anybody listening at the moment then who wants to get involved, uh, get in touch with you either regarding market share or whatever else you're involved in, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, They can contact us through our website, Mm marketshare.co.nz. Or people can email me directly, uh, nick, N-I-C-K, at marketshare.co.nz. Awesome. Nick. Thanks, Andrew. It's been a joy for me as well. (laughs) Thank you very much. Awesome. I love a good entrepreneur every now and then. Nick Heinson, everybody, marketshare.co.nz. Uh, if you want to get in touch with him or just get a better idea of what he's up to. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to Nick is because the entrepreneurial journey is so different and so personalized. Um, a lot of different people approach business in different ways, and uh, it just makes it a lot more accessible from my perspective. Even if you don't want to get into business, how do you turn a dream into a reality? And how do even some of the challenges you've gone through actually help propel you forward or to come up with a solution that meets that challenge that perhaps you might have stumbled at however many years ago? Very inspiring story. And I certainly look forward to more chats with other entrepreneurs in future. Uh, Marketshare.co.nz. Don't forget that. Um, If you want to get in touch with me, you can do that via the Andrew Curtis show at gmail.com. But that is all from me for this week. I do have a few more chats already lined up. Haven't forgotten about that one uh, talking about uh, drugs and rehabilitation and addiction. Um, That chat is 
scheduled in the next week or two so stick around for that might have a few more surprises between then as well but always appreciate you tuning in so don't forget that feedback if you want to uh, the andrew curtis show at gmail.com otherwise till next time mm-hmm.